It's Tuesday the 22nd of August 2017 and welcome to this special edition of Demolition News Radio. Exactly one year ago today, I was involved in a demolition accident. This is the story of that day. The 22nd of August 2016 started much like any other working day for me. I was scheduled to be in Sirencester, roughly a hundred miles from my home, at 10.30 in the morning. So, as usual, I had a cup of tea, checked that my personal protective equipment was in the car, checked that my camera was charged and that the memory cards and tripod were safely stowed. As I recall, it was a great, glorious late summer morning. The sky was blue, the roads were largely clear and I was making good time. I even had time to stop for breakfast before I got to site. I found the site easily enough, even though the high-reach excavator was not yet at work and couldn't yet be seen above the buildings. I found a car park just a hundred yards away, unpacked my gear, put on my work boots and headed to the site. As is often the case these days, the gate was locked when I arrived, but the demolition crew saw me and let me in. The site manager came over, checked my PPE and led me to the site office for the usual site induction, which was succinct yet thorough. We had a cup of tea together, talking through the demolition plans for the five-storey building that was about to come down. Now this was exactly six months after the, the disaster at the Didcot A power station, and it was a subject that was never far from the minds of UK demolition workers at the time. Sure enough, as we gathered my gear to head across the site, the subject of Didcot came up yet again. Together with the site manager, I talked at some length about what a tragedy it was, how the recovery of three of the four men killed was taking too long, the pity we both felt for the families of the men killed, how that single accident would likely change the UK demolition landscape forever. The building itself was a fairly nondescript five-storey brick structure. An extensive soft strip had already removed the guts of the building, but today marked the first day of real demolition. The high-reach excavator that had been parked up when I arrived trundled across the slight, climbed a small incline and took its position some 25 metres from the base of the building. As this machine was to provide the real action for the photos and video I was about to shoot, I positioned myself beside but slightly behind it. The site manager stood to my left, marginally closer to the building, with a large dust suppression unit between him and the base of the structure. I placed my battered old camera bag on the ground, dug out my equally battered old Nikon camera and fixed it to the tripod. The high-reach excavator shuffled slightly and then the boom began to rise before drawing level with the top of the building some 40 metres up. My intention was to film the start of the works, so I framed the top of the building in the viewfinder and waited for the machine operator to commence. The muncher attachment took one small bite, then another, slightly larger this time. The site manager made some minor adjustments to the position of the dust suppression unit, and I prepared to hit the record button. With the fourth or fifth bite, the excavator dislodged a section of the upper floor, comprising maybe 20 bricks. These fell crashing to the ground, and 19 of them came to rest. But one of them didn't. 
from the very corner of the peripheral vision in my left eye, I saw something heading towards me, and it was travelling fast. I barely had time to flinch, ducking my head slightly before the object slammed into the side of my face. I knew immediately that I'd been hit by a brick, and I knew I'd been hit hard. Much to my surprise, the blow didn't knock me down, and it didn't knock me out, but it did spin me around. And as my head and then body began to register what just happened, I knew instinctively that I needed to lie down before I fell down. I went to my knees, and I could already see the blood hitting the dusty ground around me and dripping onto my trousers. Before I had the chance to actually lie down, the site manager was beside me. He helped lay me down, resting my head on my camera bag as blood trickled onto it. Through my right eye, I saw the excavator operator climb out of his cab and run to my side. And all the time, I was sure I had just lost my left eye. I could see nothing out of it. The pain on that side of my face was enormous and overwhelming, and there seemed to be so much blood. I asked the digger driver if my left eye was okay, and he said I thought so. I blinked and blinked again, trying in vain to clear my vision. And slowly, although it was fuzzy and foggy with blood, I started to see out of my left eye again. Even though I didn't know quite what damage had been done, I needed to speak to my wife. I needed to let her know I was okay, even though I wasn't entirely convinced of that myself at this stage. I remember very little of that phone call, but I do remember getting as far as I'm okay but I've been in an accident before she went into full panic mode. While I was still lying on the ground, the demolition crew were offering me reassurance and a much needed drink of cold water. An ambulance was called and arrived in very short order. I remember very clearly being loaded onto a stretcher and that stretcher being loaded into the ambulance. I also remember thinking subconsciously that I was now their problem and that I could relax. The ambulance drove for what seemed like an age before I was unloaded and taken into the accident and emergency department. One of the site workers had followed along behind and was keeping the site informed of my condition. My lasting recollection of that day was the almost constant reassurance from the paramedics that collected me from the site through countless nurses, doctors and consultants. I was constantly told that I was okay, that the damage was minimal, that my eye was intact. I was laid on a bed in a small room with a mirror and even though my legs were shaky, I needed to look. I removed the blood cake gauze bandage that was covering the left side of my face to inspect the damage. It didn't look good. My left eye was entirely closed. There was a cut above and a cut below my eye socket. My cheekbone was already turning a yellowish purple and my teeth felt like they no longer fitted in my mouth. X-rays and scans that day and in the days following confirmed that the impact of the brick had broken my eye socket above my eye, shattered the eye socket below and fractured the roof of my mouth. My career as a screen idol was officially over. The site manager came to see me when the working day was over and he was rather more honest than the reassuring medical staff had been. He took one look at my lopsided face and just said, Oh shit. The accident happened mid-morning and I was finally allowed to leave the hospital early in the evening. I arrived home at around 10.30 that night, bruised, bloodied and alive. I've never been quite so happy to be home. I awoke the following day feeling considerably worse. The left side of my face was a swollen mess. My left eye closed, the eyelid slowly turning black. By midday, the painkillers had worn off and my head felt like it might explode. 
My wife took me to the, my local A&E department where I was x-rayed, scanned and checked all over again before being referred to the facial department and eye clinic of a London hospital. The facial specialist warned that the, because of the impact of the brick had basically dislodged the base of my eye socket, there was a chance that my left eye might begin to droop or slip back into my head. For a good three months his warning seemed overcautious, and then I woke one morning with double vision. Before I could even tell my wife about my new symptoms, she said, there's something wrong with your eye. Sure enough, the consultant's prediction had come true. My eyeball had started to drop fractionally within the socket, and an atrophy of the fat surrounding the eyeball meant that it now sat further back into my head than my right eye. That combination had left me with severe double vision. Since the initial referral, I've returned to that London hospital 11 times for various checks and updates. I was scheduled to have an operation to put a pin in the base of my eye socket to push my eye back to roughly where it belongs earlier this year. But then the fun really started. During a pre-op check, I was diagnosed with high blood pressure. The operation was postponed and I was referred to my GP for further tests. Those tests revealed that in addition to the high blood pressure, I was also carrying around a nice hefty dose of type 2 diabetes. In truth, that diagnosis had a far greater impact than the low-flying brick. 16 weeks on a carb-free blood sugar diet stripped almost three stone in body weight, rendered most of my clothes ridiculously large, and has driven the diabetes from my body, at least for now. I've kept all that weight off, and my diet is unrecognisable from the time before my accident. Turns out, salad is edible, and tomatoes are not the work of the devil. I still have double vision. The headaches I suffered immediately after the accident have largely subsided, although when they do hit, they still hit hard. My jaw is back where it belongs, although my teeth no longer line up in quite the same way. The industry was extremely supportive, and I received get well messages from across the world. I also received countless tales of how similar things had happened to other demolition workers, and I was told time and time again that, having spent so much time on demolition sites, it was only a matter of time until I was hurt in some way. That thought has stayed with me ever since, particularly as my youngest son, Fred, now works with me as photographer and videographer. Had he been with me that day, it would have been him that was here. I couldn't live with that. The day after the accident, I actually got Fred to film my face for a YouTube video called Accidents Can Happen To Anyone. My hope was that someone might watch it and might just listen a little more intently to their next safety briefing. That accident changed a lot of things. It changed the way I look at site safety. It's changed the places I'm willing to stand and more importantly, where I will allow my son to stand. Even though I was well outside the drop zone when the accident happened, it's caused me to use the zoom names far more than I used to. It's changed my diet and my waistline. But the one thing it hasn't changed is my love for the industry. In fact, the outpouring of support that I received in the immediate aftermath of the accident merely served to reinforce my belief that demolition is a great industry. Low-flying bricks aside, I wouldn't want to work anywhere else.